God, I pray that would be the desire of our heart this morning, God, that we would be thirsty and hungry for you. I pray that uh, that you would grant that that need for us, God, that you would fill us, that you would give us drink, you'd give us food. I pray you'd speak through Michael, you'd speak through your word, and you'd just help us to see you more clearly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And you may be seated. And while you were doing that, you can. Uh, well, we'll get to we'll get to Malachi in, in just a, a little bit. Actually, we're going to do a couple of the things first. Um, why do we begin with God? As we talk through our statement of faith, why why is that the place we want to start? I want to give you three reasons why I think it's a good thing to begin with a study of God and His character before we deal with lots of other things that are in our statement of faith. Um, first thing, the Bible begins with God and is about God. Uh, the story is ultimately more about Him than it is about us, even though we play a major part. Um, but the only reason we play a major part is because we have rebelled and He is uh, in the process of, of trying to win us back. Um, the Bible begins, in the beginning, God. It wasn't in the beginning us or in the beginning stuff. It was in the beginning God. So the Bible begins with God. And this story from Genesis to Revelation is ultimately about Him and His glory. And so we begin with God because it's ultimately about Him. Second, as, as created beings, as creatures, we need to know about our Creator or we won't be able to relate to Him properly. Creators have authority. Creators have the power. And as Creator, we need to know how to relate to Him. As creatures, we need to know how to relate to Him as Creator because He sets the rules. He sets the agenda. His character is what's important. And so if we don't understand Him, we won't relate to Him properly. And then finally, God is the author of our redemption. We often and rightly so focus on the second person of the Trinity in Christ. Um, but before even people were aware of that, um, God was in the process of redeeming His people. Always had been. Um, Mary puts it this way in Luke chapter 1. She said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Not understanding all that was going on, but knew something. She was exulting in, in the God of, of the Old Testament, the God of the Jews, and calling Him Savior. For He has regard for the humble state of His bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and He has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the wrench empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to our, and His descendants forever. The idea that um, God and God alone is our only hope for redemption. He is indeed our Savior, which does point us to the fact, as we celebrate in just a moment the Lord's Supper, that um, in Him being Savior, He sent 
Himself and the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to do what we could not do, to pay for the sins that we could not pay for, to exercise um, justice and wrath that was well-deserved for the sin that humanity had committed against Him. And so this morning we, we fast forward from Luke chapter 1 when things were joyful and wonderful and Mary was excited and overwhelmed and overjoyed and praising God to Luke chapter 22. The end of a, of a life that was well lived. And we read these words beginning in verse 14. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, you are a God who gives generously to your people including the gift of your Son. God, I pray that you would use this small piece of bread as a reminder that you gave everything. God, my prayer for my brothers and sisters is that we would hunger after you and that you would use this to spiritually nourish us. That you would use this bread that we partake of to feed our souls. That we might, um, as we sang, um, not be silent that it would empower us and strengthen us and nourish us for the week ahead. That we'd be able to uh, run and not grow weary as we encounter the week that is ahead. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And again, my, my hope and my prayer for all of us is that that would be a reminder of what He has done for us that would, would move us on, would spiritually allow us to face what comes this week. Um, did I skip the cartoon? Can you go back? Oh, good. Can you read that? Who's that? Lucy, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? Uh, I will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that would never happen again in the sign of the promises of the rainbow. You've taken a great load off my mind. Sound theology is a way of doing that. Uh, and that is our hope, that this is not just an academic exercise as we talk about theology. We talk about God and Christ and man and the Holy Spirit and the church uh, and the end times, but that it, that it really does have practical implications for us and it can take a great load off of our mind. Because um, it can remind us that we're not God, nor does He want us to be in that process. So when you think of God, what do you think of? Some responses. What do you think of when you think of God? All-powerful. All-powerful. Holiness. Holiness. Misunderstood. Misunderstood. You're misunderstood? <laughs> He's misunderstood. 
By others or by yourself? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we'll clear that up. What else? All powerful. All powerful. Purity. Purity. Love. Love. Beautiful. Beautiful. Mercy. Mercy. <laughs> Just. Just. Faithful. Coming again. Coming again. Forgiving. Forgiving. Father. Father. Yes. The only truly good there is. The only truly good there is. Right. Do you ever think of his oneness? Our statement of faith starts out, we believe in one God. Um, And that phrase in the Bible, um, or or sometimes it's written the other way, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, refers not just to the fact that he's one versus two, we're monotheists, not polytheists, we believe in one God, but that he's whole, that he's complete. As he told Moses, uh, tell them that I am who I am. Um, He doesn't, his oneness implies lots of things. He doesn't need us. He's complete in himself. But it also should compel a response. Deuteronomy 6.4, again, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Right? His oneness, His wholeness, requires from us a response, and that response is an undivided love for Him. The fact that he's one, in Deuteronomy 6.4 particularly, there's this implication, because of who I am, because I am one, there's a requirement that we should love him wholly, completely. We should not be divided in our affections for him. That's difficult. Downright impossible, in fact. Because there's lots of things that vie for our affections. People in this very room vie for our affections, sometimes more than they should, right? We love people more than we love God because it's easier, because they've got flesh on. I can touch them, I can talk to them, I can see them, and sometimes God just seems distant. So it's easier to love people than sometimes it is to love God. But what we also notice in Deuteronomy is after, we, after you get that phrase, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, over and over again in Deuteronomy, 30 or 40 times in fact, says, for the Lord our God is, and then there's a description. The Lord our God is jealous. He's merciful. He's faithful. He's loving. He's present. He's great. He's awesome. He's mighty. He's not partial. And he's giving. And so there's all these characteristics of God that he manifests. And we tend, sorry, I tend, you probably do as well at times, tend to favor some of those over others. Have you ever had a personality test done? 
Anybody ever done that? And when you get those back, you find that you're, you're a lot of this and some of this and not much of something else, right? You, we, we fit into certain categories. God's not like that. We've done that already. We go forward because we backed up to the cartoon. We talked about that. Yeah, it's keep going, keep going, keep going. One more. Yep. Um, but God's not like that. He's not a whole lot of love and a little bit of wrath. We'd like for Him to be that way. And the only reason He seems that way is because of the cross of Christ. The only reason that we would have any, any inkling that He's more of something than something else is because we experience Him a certain way because of what Christ has done. He is not any more loving than He is wrathful. He's not any more just than He is merciful. He's not any more demanding than He is sacrificing. He's not any more imminent than He is transcendent. When you see a characteristic of God, that's who He is. They all go together. There may be different facets, but it's one wonderful stone, one wonderful jewel. Uh, theologians call that the simplicity of God. In other words, we are, in, in theological terms, complex because we're not consistent. We exhibit certain characteristics more than others. God doesn't do that. And ultimately, all of those things are evident in the cross. His love and His wrath, His justice and His mercy, His demanding and His sacrifice, His transcendence, His otherness and His eminence, His presence with us. All of that is evident in the cross of Christ. So what? What does that mean for you and me? Well, in Malachi, there's an interesting passage that, and he just takes one small snippet of what it means that God is one. If you'll turn to Malachi chapter 2, I'm going to read about, 11, uh, about seven verses to you. Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. He's asking a question. Do we not all have one Father... Has not one God created us? And he's talking about one not just in number, but also in wholeness, completeness. So he's asked these questions. Do we, is this not true? Do you not believe this? The expected answer is yes. And he says, why do we deal treacherously or faithlessly each against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers. Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. There's another thing that you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping, with groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and the wife by covenant. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking godly offspring? 
Take heed then to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Malachi takes the idea of God's oneness and then boils it down for them in a very specific, very applicable uh, event for the people of Israel. He begins very generally, we deal treacherously against each other so as to profane the covenant of our fathers. So they're not being faithful to one another. There's this group of people that are living in the promised land. They've come back after exile which was punishment for years and years of unfaithfulness, and they're starting that trouble again. So Malachi is coming to them and saying, now wait a minute, before you get too far along, you need to think, what is the covenant? Do you remember the covenant? So we go back to Exodus chapter 19. In verse 4, he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So there's a a declaration of what he's done, a reminder, I brought you out of Egypt, I rescued you. God has rescued you from our Egypt of sin. And he says, if you obey, then you'll be these three things. You'll be a people of my own possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. We've heard those words recently. In fact, we read them last week when we read through 1 Peter for the last time. Peter's telling those people that In the same way that through the covenant God made with Moses on Mount Sinai, through Christ God's made a covenant with you, and because of Christ's obedience, all of you individual stones of chapter 2 in 1 Peter are being brought together into be my own possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. We've been brought into that covenant only when, as individual stones, we get together. We become one. We become whole. That's the only way that happens. This is very applicable to us because when we bicker or fight or gossip, when we are not loving towards one another, we are in the same way profaning that covenant, but now we're profaning the covenant of the blood of Christ. And so the general application, because God is one, His people need to be one. And again, that's difficult. Because in the same way it's easy to love each other because we can see you and I can touch you and I know your needs, it's so easy to not love one another because I see you and your sin affects me. And my sin affects you. And so it's easy to not be whole, to not be one. And yet... Malachi says, because God is one, you should be one as well. We have dealt treacherously. We've been unfaithful with one another. And then he gives two very specific examples, both dealing with marriage. Let's, so he, the big general, all of us, and then he hones in 
and says there's an issue with marriage, actually two issues with marriage, that is profaning God. It's not honoring Him because He's one, and yet you're not being one in marriage. And he begins by saying... Um, Middle of verse 11, For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Over and over again in the, in the Old Testament says you can't bring in ungodly influences. It's going to kill you. You marry a, a non-believer, you marry a pagan, and they will affect you and that will affect everybody else. It's not just you that's making this decision. You're making a decision that's going to affect the whole faith community. You're bringing in an ungodly influence and he says you can't do that. Paul would agree and he talks about it in Corinthians. Do not be unequally yoked. The idea is as believers, we only bring into covenant with ourselves and into the covenant community people who are also believers. We could, we could move back out and talk about ungodly influences in general. Because any time any of us bring in ungodly influences into our life, whether that's a husband or a wife or anything else, what we listen to, what we watch, is not just going to affect me, it's going to affect you. It damages the purity. As Will talked about a minute ago, we think of God, we think of purity. It damages the purity of the covenant community. Anytime any one of us brings in ungodly influences into our life because we are one, we are the stones in that building, then it affects the rest of us. It can't help but do that. The second thing, verse 13, this is another thing that you do. You cover the altar with tears and weeping and groaning. So they're upset because God's not listening to them. And they say, we don't know why. He says, of course you know why. So you're not dealing faithfully with the wife of your youth. He later on says, I hate divorce. So it's at, the very, at the very least, he's talking about divorce, but I think he's also talking about unfaithfulness in general when we don't love one another well. See, because God is one and because when marriage happened in the garden, the two shall become one flesh. When that one flesh, when there's schism, when it's not going well, when there's arguments, when there's divorce... But that necessarily reflects on not only the covenant community, but it reflects upon God and His oneness. God's not big enough for me to sacrifice for the other. When we are unfaithful to our spouse, it is a, a slam against the character of God. Whether that's divorce or whether that's just I don't treat my spouse very well we're not really one whether that's communication or actual separation the idea is we're not mirroring the image of God for the world there's an interesting phrase in verse 15 but not but no one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And the Spirit in the New American Standard is capitalized, but in Hebrew, nothing was ever capitalized. And that word Spirit can also mean mind or sense. Um, and there's lots of people who think that really what he's actually saying is, no one does that who has any sense. That it's actually a slam against the people. 
when you are unfaithful to your spouse, you're not thinking straight. He's saying, do you not have any sense? In other words, that's the dumbest thing you could do. God's character is at stake. His oneness. goes back to the question, do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us? So then why would you act this way? Do you not have any sense? Certainly, you don't have the Spirit if you're doing that. That certainly is a possibility. But I'm not sure Malachi is not just tearing into him about this. He's not happy. And nor should we be. We should be the covenant community. This church should be a shining example to our community of what marriage is supposed to look like. So that's what that's very specific from Malachi. We all know there's a thousand other ways this plays itself out. God's oneness and the way we behave towards one another. We talked about one last week and here in our discussion, second hour, of sometimes we're guilty of dividing up our lives. There's the secular part of our life and the sacred part of our life. Um, and the comment was made last week about, well, I don't necessarily call that a ministry, but, and I think semantics is part of that, but what happens is an outflow of who I am. In the same way that God is whole and complete, He wants us to be whole and complete. He wants the things that we do to be an outpouring of our lives. A.W. Tozer said it this way, It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. Why do we do the things that we do? Is it because I need a paycheck or is it to honor God? And that doesn't mean you can't acquire a paycheck while you do those things. But everything that we do from the time we get up in the morning to the time we go to bed, there is a call on our lives because of what Christ did that we would honor Him with what we do. Do you pray more when you're doing something that someone might label as ministry or when you're changing a diaper? Or when you're cooking a meal, or when you're washing clothes, or fixing a truck, or feeding the chickens. And, and no, the answer should be no. I mean, we, we are dependent upon God for everything. We might think we have certain skills, and we might be able to do certain tasks without praying, but God would have us do everything that we do dependent upon Him. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. What he meant by that is nothing that actually counts for anything. Well, we can do lots of things without him, right? In fact, God even says so himself, Tower of Babel. He came down and said, look, they've all got one mind. Nothing that they propose will be impossible for them. They can do whatever they set their mind to, right? So it's not that we can't do anything. We just can't do anything that counts, that matters for eternity. And yet when we depend upon him, everything matters for eternity. All of life is, in one sense, worship because all of life is God's. And God wants all of you because God gave all for you. My challenge to you this week is to go through and think, now, how else does God's oneness affect how I respond to the people around me? What does that mean for my life individually? Am I whole or am I fractured? 
Do I do some things one way and do other things another way? And how do I relate to the people that are around me? If they knew my relationships in the body of Christ, would they say, yes, we're one or, well, we're four and a half? That's our challenge, I think, from the oneness of God. Because He is one, He desires His people to be one. An undivided love for Him, a faithfulness in our relationships, and then a faithfulness in ourselves as we go about our week, as we depend upon Him for every single thing that we do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for who You are. We praise You for being one God. And we ask that You would use that knowledge to transform our lives, that we might be whole and complete, um, that we might be a preview of what is to come to this world. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.